I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we though many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Emily. Um, Let's pray. Lord, we want to be open to the, the beautiful whisper of your truth this afternoon. Come and speak into our lives and into our life together here. Amen. Amen. Well, sometimes when the, the week is so full of, of the news of death and disaster, um, one of the things that that can do is, is bring the big questions rolling in. Uh, questions like, what is this, this, this brief, fragile life all about? What are we doing with these short years that we have together? What is this life? That's what we'll be thinking about a bit today. But first, last week, Emily managed to start her talk by shooting a Nerf gun um, at you. And if you could deal with that, I thought you, you guys could deal with um, a little quiz. Who doesn't like a little quiz? <laughs> so this is the, um, the famous scaffolded buildings quiz. And it's just four questions. And it's very simple. You have to look at these four pictures. Here's number one. And the first person to shout out what building they think this is. Come on. We're going to go with Big Ben for, you know, come on. That's, that's what it is. That's what, you know. Um, correct. Okay, number two. There's no prizes. Nelson's column is correct. There it is. Okay, number three. We're going to get a bit hard. We're going to get out of London. A little bit harder. The clue's in the cladding for this one. Any buildings you know that are blue with white spots? 
all the way up the M40 out of London, past Oxford. Keep going. Boring, I heard it. Correct. There it is. Okay, last one. This is a colossal scaffolding um, construction. I think you'll agree. Christ the Redeemer in Rio. There it is. Boom. Look at that. Can you, ima can you imagine like, um, building that? Um, I worked as a builder for a little bit, and we would get excited about, you know, there could be some impressive challenges and scaffolding constructions, um, but nothing like that. We can, get, we can get excited about scaffolding. But what is it deeply about? Underneath the scaffolding, what is it that must be taking shape? It's the building or the statue. When it comes to all of this church stuff, these buildings, these meetings, these words, these songs, what is it that must be taking shape? What is it all about? Thankfully, somebody asked Jesus this, this same question. And for once, he gave us a straight, clear um, answer. You can read about it, Matthew 22. And someone said, um, what's it all about? And he said, it's about loving God with everything you've got. And it's about loving your neighbor. And he said, he even qualified this, on this hangs all of the law and the prophets, which is kind of shorthand for saying the entire Old Testament. It's all about this, this life of love that is being opened up to us, that we're being equipped and qualified into, invited into. Which is why here at chapter 12 that we've been thinking through these last weeks, looking closely at um, chapter 12 of this long letter that the Apostle Paul writes to the, the earliest church in Rome. This is why he finally gets to talking about love. After 11 whole chapters of extended deep thought, understanding and explaining the saving creative action of the love of God in Jesus Christ, Paul's impressive train of thought is finally coming into a stop at some of the implications for our lives. So in response to this great boundary-crossing love of God that's given us everything, we, he says, are to present our bodies as living sacrifices, not to be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. He says that we are one body in Christ with many gifts. That's what we were thinking about last week. If you remember it. This week, this, this is what we're going to be looking at. Verse 9, let love be genuine. Love one another like family, in verse 10. Outdo one another in showing honor. Verse 11 and 12, go for it. I'm paraphrasing, paraphrasing a little bit. Go for it with all joy and patience and perseverance and generosity. Verse 13, instead of hostility, show hospitality. He's got plenty to say in these verses about love. It's a little bit like another one of his letters. I don't know if you're familiar with that one. He wrote to the church in a place called Corinth. We know it as 1 Corinthians. And um, it's a very different letter to this one he wrote to the church in Rome for reasons that we will get to shortly. Um, but there's exactly the same train of thought uh, towards the end of that. And he's got a section all about that we are one body and that there's many gifts contributing. And then he goes straight in to this rhapsody on love. He's got so much to say about love. Love is patient. Love is kind. 
Love doesn't prioritize itself. Love doesn't boast. Love isn't arrogant. All of that stuff. If you've been to any weddings, you've probably, chances are you've, you might have heard um, this, this famous, um, rightly famous, um, sort of poetic description, uh, reflection, meditation on love. Okay. There's even a bit at the end. Final quiz question where it says, there's faith, there's hope, and there's love, but the greatest of these is? Love. Underneath all the scaffolding. This is the valuable thing that's got to be taking place, taking shape in our lives. This is what is of first importance. This is the main thing. The main thing, keep your voice down, Oxford, um, is not education. It's not as if following Jesus, we need to you know, all become these genius theologians. The main thing is not growing our leadership and influence and platforms in this world as if we need to try and secure some visible legacy the main thing is not even church growth. I mean, the growth of our institutions may well be the outworking of love. If so, that's wonderful. But if not, it's just nonsense. And in that passage in um, 1 Corinthians 13, Paul's like, he gets to the end of it, and he's, or maybe it's the beginning of it, I'm not sure. And he says, anyway, if there's no love involved, it's just like a, a clanging symbol, is his kind of, no offense, Steve, um, <laughs> who is our drummer tonight, who is full of love. Um, I can testify to that. Um, but without love, it's just, it's just noise. It's nonsense. Love is the main thing. It's about learning to love. It's about growing in love. This is, what it, this is what it really looks like for the gospel, for the very goodness of God to land in our lives. This is what being a living sacrifice looks like. This is what the the transformation and the renewal that Paul is talking about, this is, this is what he's talking about. This is what it means for us to live as if we're one body in harmony. It's about our lives being ablaze with love, with the love of God. I'm at that stage of parenthood where there's no privacy. And so my eight-year-old daughter, recently to her great delight, discovered in a little kind of random explore through the back of a cupboard, she discovered this box of love letters. And um, the, because Laura, my wife, and I um, were teenagers when, when the romance um, began, this, this box is quite the treasure trove for Karis to find. And, and just being sort of um, freshly aware of this thing again, it's, um, it's so cringe. Just reading through, I mean, even the kind of, just like overly curly handwriting of my teenage self, I just like, oh, I can't deal with that, let alone the kind of gush that I would um, write. Anyway, there was one part of, one thing within this box, it was this, um, this little notebook that Karis couldn't really understand at all, and she was, um, She's like, what's this? What does this mean? And, and it was full of um, short little, little messages. It seems to be messages, except they, some of it seems to be written in a slightly different language. There was, there was words like L8R. Like, is that code for something? And, and CU and things like this. And, um, and she really struggled to make sense of this. Why? Two big reasons. One, she'd only had half of the correspondence in her hands. And the other reason is she, she was unaware of the kind of limited technological context 
in which, in, in which these messages had originated. And so um, what happened was there was a phase where Laura had gone through um, writing out, I don't know why, writing out every text message that I'd sent her. Why would you do this? You do this because these messages were precious. They were, you'd spent 10p on each of these, <laughs> these messages. And why are they in a slightly different language? It's because the, the characters were, you know, confined. So you came up with all of these, like, you know, you dropped the vowels from most words and uh, you proceeded in that way. And of course, you could only store 10 messages on your, your old phone. If you lived through these difficult times, you may not, you may not have, um, your, you know, written out your text messages that you wanted to keep in a little notebook, granted. But I bet you there were some messages that just stayed on your phone for a long time at the bottom. You had your own special reasons why these messages were precious to you, but this was the world um, that we lived in. When I explained some of this to our daughter, her eyes um, came alive, and suddenly this notebook came alive. Suddenly it was like, this was interesting. I see what this is now. And I quickly confiscated it of her and took it away, because there's things in there that I don't want her to read. She doesn't want to read them. It's for the best. Um, so uh, I could read out some of it to you now. But I don't want to, so I'm not getting it. <laughs> in a very similar way, when we come to the ancient correspondence that is Paul's letter to the Romans, <laughs> it is essential. If we're to understand what this is, it's essential that we know um, some of the, something of the background context. It is really helpful and really interesting, I think, to know that the main reason, one of the main reasons Paul is writing to this church one of, the, one of the main problems that he's speaking to is this rift between the Jewish Christians and the non-Jewish Christians, the non-Jewish converts. So in Acts 18, if you turn to the first, um, you, don't ha- you can do that now, you don't have to. Uh, if you turn to the first verses of Acts 18, you can learn that there's uh, been this church in Rome for a long time made up of, of, of Jewish people, non-Jewish people, uh, but then at a certain point, Claudius, the emperor Claudius, has expelled from Rome, it says all of the Jewish people, it may well mean just the Jewish Christians, maybe there was some disturbance, some controversy kicking off, that for a time they were expelled. About five years later, they were able to return, which is what they did. And what they found when they returned, the Jewish Christians, the Jewish part of the, the church, was that the church in Rome had become distinctly un-Jewish during that time, in its traditions and its customs, of course it had. And so... When these guys are coming back in, there's, there's tension and there's, there's, there's difficult conversations about like, what are we doing with Sabbath and what are we doing with some of the, the, the festivals and what about foods, which foods are okay to eat for who and, and circumcision. And there's also all, manner of, all manner of front lines that were these important identity markers for this um, ancient culture that have been carefully protected uh, for good, precious, valuable reasons, and then coming into conflict with this new reality. These rifts and these tensions are why there's so much detail in this letter on God's purposes with Israel and purposes with the rest of the world and the, the status of the Jewish law. So if you read through the whole letter, you'll see that there are chapters and chapters on this stuff. And the Apostle Paul's big burden is to try and unite this rifted church to help them see that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that this Jewish people were pointing towards. And so that now the invitation is wide so that Jews 
and non-Jews alike, we all get to hold hands with Jesus and share in his victory over sin and death, to share in his life, to share in his great love. He's trying to help them see because of, of all this that he's just explained, because of this deeply, we are one in Christ Jesus. So verse 10, when he says to love one another with this family love, familial love, these are powerful words. And then straight away after that, he says, outdo one another in showing honor. Another important thing to know, a bit of background context, is, is the culture of, of Roman society, of the Roman Empire, was strictly hierarchical. So you had all these carefully defined ranks in society, right from emperor through to slave. And these, these ranks, these different sort of status standings, dictated who was to show honor to who. And so when Paul writes, you've got to just outdo one another in showing honor, he's cutting against all of that. And do you see what he's doing then? He's got this one group who are uh, defined by their ethnicity and culture, and he's saying, you guys, let's be family with, with them over there as well. And so these guys are saying, and let's outdo one another in showing honor. Let go of your kind of instincts towards hierarchy and standing on your position and outdo one another in showing honor. Because in Christ, there is this whole new system that is operating in which by the grace of God, we each get lavished with every honor and esteem and status and belonging just by virtue of our being associated with Jesus. We're in. We're part of the family. It's called the kingdom of God. Very shortly, we're going to come together around the family table, as it were, and we celebrate together this new order of things. We receive this free gift of, of identity, this beloved identity, and we do it together because this is who we are, graced by this great love and then sent to reflect something of that into the world. The problem, of course, is the people that we're called to love. Sometimes I think it might be easier to love, love people that I don't know yet. Um, I don't know if you, if you have that. You know, where there hasn't been any history, where you haven't accrued the baggage, the disappointments, you haven't kind of got irritated by their annoying habits, there haven't been those sore sensitivities that have, that have crept in. This life of love that we're called to, it doesn't come naturally to us. It's not easy, actually. It sounds great until <laughs> you're kind of in that, that difficult situation with someone who's really difficult to love. So I just want to make one point of definition as to this Jesus-style love and leave you with one hopefully helpful searching question for you to ponder. So the point of definition is this. Love goes first. What do I mean by that? Well, the other week, me and Laura were having this, this thing. Should we call it a row? Um, maybe. It was like a, one, of those, one of those rows on ice. And it was something to do with me checking out of my domestic responsibilities. Um, <laughs> but it was a Six Nations weekend. Anyway, I, some words were said. And, and then I thought I'll do the whole like aggressive silence thing for a little while. 
Um, that should work. Next morning, around the edges of breakfast time, the air temperature indicated that the, um, the frosts had not yet thawed, shall we say. But then, halfway through the morning, I received a text message, and it just said this, just to say, I love you, and you're my best friend. That, my friends, is a game changer. That is the aroma of Christ right there. It's a love that goes first, that crosses the bridge, even to a passive, aggressive one like me. It extends forgiveness first. Maybe we should try it more often, because that's the sort of love that we are recentering on right here. While we were still far off, Christ came out to meet us, says the words that we'll use. We love because Christ first loved us. Love goes first. Is there an opportunity for you right now in your life to cross a bridge, to cross a silence, to cross a room, to cross a culture, to lead the way in healing love? Love goes first. And then a useful question. Question I've found useful anyway. So often we kind of approach decisions or situations or appraise where we're at by saying, like, how is this working out for me? Perhaps a better question is, how is my life working out for those around me? What's it like to be the person who inherits the consequences of your words and your actions? And if you don't know, here's an idea. You could actually ask them. That'd be, an interest, that'd be an interesting conversation this week. Ask the people closest to you, how's my life working out for you? What's it like to be my mate, to be my housemate? Because this is what really matters. How the, the goodness of God is landing in our lives and, and growing underneath all the scaffolding of our lives, growing this life of love. The first thing is love, and love goes first. Let's stand together.